The interviews and discussions in this podcast are opinions only and not financial or investment advice. Listeners should obtain independent advice based on their own circumstances before making any financial decisions. This episode of the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison, is sponsored by Barclay Pierce Capital, a leading Australian corporate advisory and equities trading firm. Focused on your vision, Barclay Pierce specialises in making it a successful reality. Hello and welcome to Stock Insiders with me, Oriel Morrison. Now, it's been an interesting year for the folks over at BPH Energy with a potential legal battle coming up against former Prime Minister Scott Morrison. Now, this company, if you've not heard of it before, it is the only Aussie-listed holding company specialising in investments across both biotechs right through to resources. Now, the code is BPH, the market cap at the time of recording around $17.5 million. And I'm joined now by David Breeze, Executive Chairman of BPH Energy. David, welcome. Thank you, and uh, good to have the opportunity to talk to you. Thank you. Now, David, you've been with BPH for some time now, for around 18 years. I'm guessing that you've seen quite a lot of change over that time. Yes, we certainly have, particularly in the transition from gas into, or rather coal, if you like, into wind and solar and the renewables revolution. Uh, and of course, uh, we are a part of that process. Uh, we've moved ourselves into uh, looking for carbon capture and storage sites, as well as moving into hydrogen generation using methane. We're doing so utilising existing resources of uh, gas in order to optimise that transition capability. Energy specifically is an area of interest, and I want to delve into that in more detail in just a moment, David. But before I do, I just wanted to give our listeners, uh, you know, sort of an overview of, of BPH itself, because you've just given us sort of, you know, an an in some insight into the areas that you're interested in. But you're literally invested in everything from hydrocarbon right through to medical devices. Tell us more about BPH and, and what, what your beliefs are and what you're trying to achieve. So BPH uh, was formed in the first instance as a an investor into medtech and it turned out that uh, that uh, sector uh, suffered from a significant downturn soon after we launched the uh, entity and we looked around for another counter-cyclical investment area, if you will, and uh, energy was uh, in very strong demand and, of course, still is in strong demand. And so we took up an opportunity that was available to us in, uh, in particular at that time in the gas project offshore New South Wales uh, and just south of Newcastle. So... Uh, we did diversify and we certainly diversified in a very broad way. The, when we looked at our medtech investments, we went looking for um, medical research technology that had come out of Australian research institutes and universities. And we were looking for medtech that had a billion dollar market uh, capacity in the markets that it was addressing, 
that had a unique intellectual property that uh, was a real differentiator from the existing technology in the space that it was in. And we found a series of those both in uh, cancer and also, of course, in the anesthesia monitoring devices, which is the BALM device, which we now are taking through to commercialization. Um, in the energy space, of course, PEP11 uh, has a, is a, in a gas basin. It's um, 30 kilometers offshore and south of, uh, south southwest from Newcastle. And now, as it turns out, it's in an ideal position to be able to potentially support uh, the gas transition and support of uh, the renewables rev re revolution. So let's talk a little bit more about this then, David. Um, you've publicly said before that Australia is in the middle of an energy supply crisis, which has been years in the making. And it's your belief that this particular situation that we're in right now could have been avoided. Tell us about that. Yes. If you look at uh, the history of uh, uh, hydrocarbons in Australia and East Coast Australia in particular, the Bass Strait was discovered in the 1960s. The Otways were discovered thereafter. Cooper Basin onshore uh, came about later and Australia and Victoria and the East Coast of Australia as a result had a significant source of gas over a 60-year period and it used about 5 or 6 TCF over that time frame. However, um, governments, and this is recognised right through to the current federal level, state governments in particular uh, have proved to not be uh, conducive to developing further hydrocarbon resources. But that's not working and it hasn't worked and it's led in particular to a real crisis and that's resulted in a price increase. Now the crisis meant that during June and July in the depths of winter the government had to seize control of both the electricity generation mechanisms and the gas supply and utilisation mechanisms in Australia. That of itself is extraordinary. What that meant is that the uh, energy processes in Australia had failed. You can't have governments having to seize control of the generation and distribution mechanisms in order to keep the lights on. And that's essentially what occurred. And the, uh, the uh, regulatory authority, uh, in fact, forced a gas-fired power station to shut down in Victoria in the middle of winter. It just doesn't work like that. And the population is now facing uh, price increases and uh, supply constraints. And that's just impossible, an impossible situation in an energy supplying nation like Australia that has very significant resources. Uh, that's the issue. So Australia has the resources, but it must be able to bring those resources into the marketplace and you can't have what we had in June and July. Part of this, David, correct me if I'm wrong, relates to our former Prime Minister Scott Morrison taking over the resources portfolio and the impact 
that has had on on BPH and and not only on BPH but also on you. And as a result, you're conducting a full review of your options relating to PEP11 and that exploration license. Can you tell us exactly what is happening here? So the community is aware that the uh, former Prime Minister, um, Scott Morrison, uh, took on five, the control, the alternate control of five ministries and resources was one of those and the community was not aware that he had done so. Uh, We understood and we'd seen that uh, the resources minister Pitt had uh, uh, supported uh, PEP11, could see the necessity for the utilisation of it and then the Prime Minister decided that uh, we would not be enabled to extend our permit. Now, we had multiple applications in with the NOPTA, the regulatory authority, and NOPTA had in fact recommended to the government that our permit extension be allowed. Now, the matter is in the federal court, and I can't explain further than that, except to say both the um, Barnaby Joyce and McCormack as the former Deputy Prime Minister both conceded that it was done for a political purpose to uh, not extend PEP 11. Now that doesn't mean to say that the permit is no longer valid. The permit is valid and there's a significant misunderstanding of that. Now we took a federal court action to overturn that decision and we're in the midst of that but I do note that a former High Court judge has now been appointed by the current Prime Minister uh, Mr Albanese to look into and examine and report on uh, the additional powers that Mr Morrison took upon himself and the impact that that has had and and he is all she sorry is also currently looking at the legality or otherwise of that that will play out in due course it certainly will so what is the potential that that you uh, as part of bph has for legal resource here with regards to this decision relating to the pep 11 exploration license so we've already initiated a federal court action and uh your listeners can in fact go to the federal court and get a copy of the um, uh, pleadings in this case because the court has determined that it uh, it should be uh, widely available so um, I won't go into that element of detail except to say it is clear as a result of the disclosures that have been made in the public arena that there may well be other elements of uh, litigation that may be available to us other than the application basis that we have already pursued in the federal court and our legal advisors uh, are looking at those elements and will come back to us in due course i can't say more than that Mm, okay. All right, let's talk about the the broader picture here when it comes to energy in Australia, um, David, because as we briefly discussed before, you you are investing in, you know, across the board. 
when it comes to the future of energy in, in Australia. How do you see this playing out over the next sort of 10 to 20 years in terms of where our energy is going to primarily come from? So there will be a transition and there is a transition to uh, wind and solar. However, both wind and solar need a baseload support because the sun doesn't shine and the wind doesn't blow all the time. That has been illustrated graphically in South Australia, in Ireland, in New Zealand, in uh, Texas, uh, and in California even at the moment, and now in Europe and in Germany in particular. You have to have baseload power and uh, you also have to have the capacity for uh, gas in that process. And I do note that in the, this morning's financial review, we have a visitor from uh, Spain who is one of the powerhouses in the world of wind and solar. And in the reporting of his um, meeting with Prime Minister Albanese, he has also reiterated that gas is a key part of that uh, baseload power and equally uh, in Germany they now recognize that uh, gas is important and in fact there's 25 new LNG import facilities being built around the coast uh, ports of Europe right at this moment and the first five of those will come into play in this year. Japan and Korea have both uh, been in the news recently because they've been speaking to our um, government and have been seeking reassurances that Australia as a lead global supplier of LNG will continue to service those uh, areas and the invasion of Ukraine by Russia has certainly changed the dynamics of that uh, gas supply process and countries around the world like Japan, Korea and uh, Europe now all are looking for secure long-term supplies of uh, gas in the form of LNG. Now Australia's one part of that and it's critical for the purpose of power generation, household uh, energy and heating and in summer cooling that we have that baseload capacity supplied uh, by gas because that's one aspect of, of that uh, total power system. Now I started by talking about hydrogen because uh, hydrogen produced from uh, natural gas uh, has two products. The obvious one of course is hydrogen from methane and the other is carbon black and the process in which we've invested uh, produces uh, hydrogen and carbon black. It produces no CO2 and in that respect it perfectly suits this transition and the expansion of demand and it does so with an objective of producing uh, uh, electricity at a cost of $2 a kilogram. The existing uh, blue hydrogen processes have an estimated cost of around $16 a kilogram of hydrogen as the uh, power source in 
and so you you have this significant cost differential. So uh, that's why we've made the investment that we have. And uh, of course, in the carbon capture and storage area, an area immediately offshore uh, New South Wales, uh, in the um, offshore basin that we have, and we have the only permit area in that basin, is potentially the ideal position to be able to have carbon storage uh, to uh, reduce the um, uh, CO2 emissions into the atmosphere from New South Wales. And remember that New South Wales, in that arc between Newcastle through to Sydney and down to Wollongong, produces one-third of all of Australia's CO2 emissions. So having a carbon storage area near there as part of that uh, suite of solutions to uh, net zero is an ideal situation and we're involved in that. Do, do you see Australia as a, as a country um, becoming 100% reliant on, on green energy in the future? Um, over the long term, it can, but in fact, you will always need hydrocarbons. Mm. There is no doubt at all. And of course, gas is a source of energy uh, and gas is a source of uh, fertilisers and of it, virtually every product that uh, people wear, use uh, in their day-to-day uh, -day life and rely upon for their uh, heating bills and for heating and cooling their home. That's a critical component of um, baseload support when you don't have the capacity to generate from wind and solar. And we're a long way and tens of, if not hundreds of billions of dollars of, uh, away from the battery storage capacity that uh, may be necessary. And of course, I have noted that the costs of battery materials have gone up now 15% in mm. the uh, last quarter or so. And that's an indicator of the problems of trying to make this transition. Absolutely, storage is certainly part of the part of the problem, um, but we know that there are a lot of uh, very very smart people working on solutions, uh, of course, including yourself. So, David, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. Uh, really appreciate your time. We'd love to chat again, um, potentially when you're a little bit closer to uh, resolutions and all the topic areas that we've we've talked about today. Thanks indeed, and I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. And of course, a big thank you to all of our listeners for joining us today as well for this edition of Stock Insiders with me, Oriel Morrison. We'll catch you next week with more.